0: Have you ever wondered why today is called Palm Sunday? Have you ever wondered what Holy Week or Passion Week is all about? Well, today is Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before Easter. Uh, Palm Sunday also starts the week leading up to Easter, which is called Holy Week or Passion Week. Uh, John records for us what happened on Palm Sunday. We're going to be in John chapter 12 to start off with. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, if you don't have a Bible app, head to Bible.com app. You can also follow along in the app, and we'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Again, John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. The news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. So this is why today is called Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus sort of entered Jerusalem in a sort of parade of palm branches. The city was filled with people visiting for Passover celebrations, and many of these visitors Probably had also heard about this guy, Jesus, who performed miracles. And they shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. So that part is where the Hosanna part comes in, meaning, Praise God or, or Savior, save us now. Verse 14 Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your King is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb raising him from the dead. And they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. If you haven't been with us in this series, John records seven signs or miracles that point to Jesus being the Savior of the world. That John recorded them for us for a purpose, that we would believe in him too, because those who saw the miracles in person believed he was the Savior. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, even saw the people believing in Jesus, as we're going to see in the next verse. Verse 19. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Another translation says it this way. Look how the world has gone after him. That these Jewish leaders are are looking out over the streets of Jerusalem filled with people. Hearing the crowd acknowledge Jesus by shouting the word Hosanna, save us now. And yet, these same Jewish leaders were incredibly angry and frustrated seeing how the crowds were responding to Jesus. And at the same time, there's also this interesting contrast between how the crowds are treating Jesus on Palm Sunday compared to how they will treat him in a few days when they shout for him to be crucified. And one of the most powerful things that really sticks out to me about Palm Sunday is the fact that Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified in that city before the end of the week. And yet he walked into that very city. He didn't hesitate. He didn't get dragged reluctantly into the city where he would eventually have nails driven through his wrists and through his feet. He wasn't pushed to go in. He willingly walked in with a crowd that would eventually abandon him or or turn on him. So for people from all periods of history, this really should challenge us and challenge our definition of love and what strength actually looks like. But for our generation, this should challenge our definition of freedom. Freedom isn't something to, to cling to at all costs, even if someone or something might be trying to take it away from you. Freedom is the ability to hold your life loosely. Freedom is the willingness to give your life, your rights, your everything for someone else, including your enemies. Freedom isn't about holding on to our rights to gather on Sundays, however we want, even in a pandemic. Freedom isn't about preserving our right to choose to wear a mask or not to wear a mask. Freedom is about giving up our right to choose to wear a mask for the sake of those around us. That Jesus would demonstrate this type of freedom on Palm Sunday, willingly walking into the city where he was going to be crucified. Now granted this isn't easy and there are probably more times than I would like to admit where I didn't use my freedom in a way that would reflect Jesus. But Jesus demonstrated many things, but Jesus is also a demonstration of strength and sacrifice. Jesus knew what the week ahead of him involved, and he willingly walked into it because of his love for you and for me. Andy Stanley says, Jesus did not cling to his life. It was his intention, to give, uh, his intention all along to give his life away. And as Jesus walked in Jerusalem, the Jewish temple leaders saw that all the people were shouting Hosanna to Jesus, uh, basically proclaiming, here comes our King, here comes our Savior, save us now. But these Jewish leaders did not believe Jesus was the Messiah coming to save them. They thought Jesus was some sort of imposter, so they were trying to stop him. They knew that the only way that they could deal with Jesus was to separate him from the crowds because the crowds protected Jesus, uh, partially because of the vast number of people around Jesus, but also literally because the crowds loved Jesus because he healed their sick. He fed them and he gave them attention. And so the crowds would not let the Jewish leaders arrest Jesus. And so these Jewish leaders were, were trying to sort of separate him from the crowds, so they could deal with his disruptive, revolutionary behavior by executing him. So let's jump ahead a few days. So it's now Thursday. Uh, Jesus and his followers are celebrating a special meal together, the Passover meal. Uh, This is also referred to as the Last Supper because it would be Jesus' Last Supper, or the last dinner for those of us in California. But this meal and celebration were really the whole reason that all the crowds were in Jerusalem when Jesus came into the city in the first place. And John tells us that so much would happen during this meal that Jesus would have. John chapter 13, verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table and took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus washes his disciples' feet and it's sort of one of his last demonstrations of what his type of love would look like. And not only that, he really gives instructions for us, for the future followers of Jesus, to follow as well. So now it's time for the meal. And Jesus says he was very eager to eat this meal with them. And he indicates that this Passover meal is going to be different than other Passover meals that they've ever had before. So while they're eating this meal, Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Now the disciples might have looked at each other saying, "Like, Did he just say what I think he said? It sort of gets worse. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now they could have said, "Like, Jesus, you don't have to tell us what we're doing this in remembrance of. Because we've been eating this meal since we were kids. It was in remembrance of God coming to Egypt and rescuing his people out of Egypt, along with punishing Egypt and Pharaoh. Now, if you don't know this, this Passover meal was a special time for the Jewish people to remember that God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and particularly when God protected them from death. That this meal was a yearly reminder and a celebration of what God had done for them. And Jesus said... That is all changing, that from now on when you celebrate Passover, you will do this to remember me and what I am doing for you. Now at this point, everyone should have just gotten up and left the room. This should have been over and ended right there. But this was part of the problem that Jesus also had with the Jewish leaders, that he would set himself up sort of equal to Moses over and over again. Now Moses is one thing, but messing around with Passover, that's an even bigger deal. You, you can't just make Passover all about you, Jesus. But these disciples stay and they keep eating the meal, verse 20. After supper, he took the cup, another cup of wine and said, This cup is... Now, no, wait, Jesus, we know what this cup is for. It represents the blood that was shed by the animals and put on the door frames. Uh, death actually passed over our ancestors' homes who were following God's commands by putting that blood on the door frames. That this cup represents that blood. So we think you should just stick with that meaning. But basically, you need to understand that what Jesus is doing here is so extraordinarily disruptive. Verse 20... After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. That Jesus is saying, This cup has always represented an arrangement between God and his people. But from now on, this cup represents a brand new arrangement that begins tonight. This cup represents not just an arrangement between God and his nation, but between God and the nations. This cup represents not just an agreement or an arrangement between God and a group of people, but between God and all people. And in ancient times, there were kind of several different types of covenants. Uh, There was a covenant between two equal parties, sort of like a business contract. There was a covenant between a powerful side and a less powerful side who maybe didn't have a choice in the matter, maybe like a curfew for your kids. There was a covenant where one party would make an unconditional promise for the benefit of the other party. Now, which type of covenant or agreement do you think Jesus was starting when he said this? This is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. That Jesus establishes that type of covenant where one party makes a promise for the benefit of the other. And Jesus is saying, I'm on the giving side. You're on the receiving side. It is for you, but it's on me. And that is known as a good gift, but it's also known as a sacrifice. And the disciples are eating this meal of Jesus and they just really didn't see this coming. But they really should have. Because basically from day one of Jesus' ministry as an adult, uh, about three years earlier, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says this in John chapter 1. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That he's going to take upon himself the sin of the entire world. That Jesus' blood would be shed for the forgiveness of your sin to establish a relationship with you. And that blood would be shed through Roman nails and a Roman cross. That the empire that best represented the kingdoms of this world was victorious for a moment. But God was up to something new and something bigger and stronger. Because the kind of strength that the Roman Empire and in many ways the nations of the world would demonstrate definitely didn't include sacrificing yourself. The Roman Empire, along again with the kingdoms of this world, demonstrated one type of strength. And they also usually demonstrated one other type of sacrifice, usually sacrificing other people or things for their own benefit. But Jesus is also a demonstration of sacrifice and strength, demonstrating a type of strength and courage that involved willingly sacrificing himself for others. How is your life different or how might your life have been different if you had followed Jesus' demonstrations of strength and sacrifice? So back to Jesus' Last Supper. They've eaten the meal, and Jesus has redefined what the Passover meal actually means. The bread now represents Jesus' body, which he is giving for us. The cup now represents Jesus' blood, which he will shed for us, to establish a new covenant between God and all humanity. And at some point along the way, Judas sort of leaves to go betray Jesus, and then Jesus says this in John chapter, 34, uh, chapter 13, verse 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. And again, those in the room should have just left, or they at least should have objected to Jesus. That Jesus, only God can give commands. Even Moses didn't write the commands, he just delivered them. And it's as if you're sort of stepping between us and God. Uh, Plus, on top of that, Jesus, we don't really need any more commands. We already have 600 or so commandments. But Jesus came to simplify all those commands to one command. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. And they probably thought, like, Jesus, that's not really new. So now I'm giving you a new commandment to love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And in that moment, Jesus sort of could have gone around the room highlighting how he loved each of them. Uh, Starting with Nathaniel, do you remember when we met, Nathaniel? Remember what you said about my hometown, my family, my friends? Well, somebody was actually recording that, and I have the video right here. Uh, Nothing good can come from Nazareth. Do you remember how I responded to you? I invited you to be one of my closest followers. Now I want you to show that same kind of acceptance and forgiveness, that same kind of love to everyone that you meet. Matthew, do you remember how we met? Remember you were a despised tax collector and yet I invited you to follow me. And then I went to your house and that same love that I showed you, I want you to show that same love to every person that you meet for the rest of your life. Now, Peter's probably over here thinking like, I remember that and we weren't very happy that you did that Jesus. We don't want a tax collector in our group. It's kind of embarrassing. And Jesus would say to Peter, Peter, you will remember forever what love really is based on the, what happens in these next few days. And then he would say to all of them, probably, uh, you, you think you've seen love, but in these next few days, I'm going to take love to a whole nother level. Yep. We have said that Jesus is also a demonstration of strength and sacrifice. And that demonstration of strength and sacrifice was really ultimately a demonstration of love. That the strength, courage, and sacrifice that Jesus demonstrated were simply acts of love. Jesus continues in verse 35, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That Jesus doesn't say your love for me, because he's actually going to be leaving. Jesus doesn't say your love for God, because no one will know if you love God or not. Jesus says your love for one another will demonstrate your love for God and for me. That compared to the system of commands and laws that these Jewish people had grown up with, this new command was far less complicated and far more demanding. Let me try to illustrate why. Uh, If you give me a list of rules, I could try really hard and probably find some loopholes. For some of you, the more rules that you're given, the more opportunities for loopholes. But to some extent, this is really true for every one of us. That if you remember, or maybe you're in middle school or high school, you, you get this. If you're parenting a middle school or high schooler, you really get this well, Mom, you didn't say exactly. Or, well, Dad, you said to be home at 11, but you didn't say a.m. or p.m. You didn't say this, you didn't do that. Let's just kind of look at the fine print. And where there are rules, there are cracks. Now, don't tell anyone this, but if you give me a Bible, I can find a loophole for anything that you want to do. Uh, In fact, Jesus actually walked into a religious environment where the leaders were professional loophole finders and creators. But that hypocrisy drove people away from the very God who created them and this new command from Jesus it sort of closes all those loopholes that I might not be sure what to believe or who to believe but I'm almost always sure of what love requires of me and this new command is sort of a final blow to our ego our selfishness and our loopholes this new command was the beginning of something new for you and something new for the whole world that Jesus came to offer each of us a new life and John actually recorded much of what we read so that we can believe that Jesus is our Savior just like He did. Now if you're ready to put you're ready to believe or put your trust in Jesus or you're ready for a new life that's defined by the love of Jesus if you're ready for a new life defined by the strength and sacrifice of Jesus not defined by the way the world has defined you, then I invite you to pray uh, simply to pray a prayer with me. Now the words of this prayer are not magic the words are just a way to communicate to God that you're putting your trust in Jesus. That you're trusting in Jesus who came to take away your sin and the sin of the world. That you're following him and his kingdom and not the kingdoms or not the ways of this world. And hopefully this won't be the only time that you pray this. Though not because it doesn't work the first time. But you might need to pray this again later, even maybe today. Because you want to communicate with God. Or, or maybe you need to remind yourself of who you are trusting in. Reminding yourself that Jesus has forgiven your sins. Remind yourself that you are following Jesus and his kingdom, not the ways of this world that we see all around us. So I'd invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you for his demonstration of strength and sacrifice. Thank you for his demonstration, ultimately, of love. Now, for those of you who are ready to put your trust in Jesus, I would invite you to pray these words along with me. Thank you that Jesus came to invite me into a new relationship with you, God. A relationship where he promised to forgive my sin because of his sacrifice. I declare my trust in Jesus today. I declare my trust in Jesus and in your kingdom. So would you help me not to trust in the ways of this world that involve power, control, violence, hate, selfishness, and loopholes? Help me to trust in your ways of love, sacrifice, and courage. Give me your strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we would love to celebrate that with you and connect with you to help you in your journey to follow Jesus. We want to celebrate your decision today. But this journey that you're starting today, God really didn't intend for any of us to do it alone, and we are here to help.